Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. The Center for Addictions and Mental Health Canada state that one in two Canadians have or will have a mental illness by age 40, and that a lack of mental well-being is the leading cause of workplace disability, keeping some 500,000 employed Canadians from attending work each week. That's staggering. And it's not just in Canada. The estimate worldwide is that 450 million people are currently struggling with their mental well-being. And while many people feel comfortable talking about their mental health, one group of people who are more likely to suffer in silence are men. One-third of Canadian men will not talk to others about their mental health for fear of not being seen as manly. And over half of Canadian men feel a strong need to demonstrate emotional stability and not show weakness. My guest today has lived these stigmas. David Trowin is the Chief Administrative Officer at the City of Kamloops. He's an urban planner by profession, and before taking over the top job at the City, David was the Director of Development Services at the City of Kamloops. Prior to his move to Kamloops, he served as the head of development in Terrace, BC. David holds a master's degree in urban and regional planning from Florida Atlantic University, where he attended on an NCAA scholarship. David is a father to two adult boys, an avid fisher, an artist, a wine connoisseur, and a really generous and kind human being. I worked with David for almost four years in my role as an HR advisor with the City of Kamloops, and he has always been someone I admire and enjoyed working with. In this episode, David and I talk about some significant health issues he experienced over the last year. We talk about what he's learned about himself and how it's affected him as a leader. We also talk about the role of HR in supporting employees and how HR professionals can build trusting relationships with leaders. When I invited David on the show, he promised me he would be honest and forthright, and he definitely delivered. Regardless of where you are in your career, I think you'll get a lot out of our conversation. I know I did. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. So thank you so much for being here, David. It uh, really is an honor to have you on the podcast today. And uh, I'm thrilled that you agreed to share some of your experiences with my listeners. Well, thank you for having me. So I want to begin today with talking about your role, because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast may be unfamiliar with your job title and the role that the CAO plays in the municipality. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your role and who you're accountable to? Yeah, a CAO or Chief Administrative Officer is, is what it's called in Kamloops and other communities called City Manager. Basically, that role reports straight to council. It's um, most municipalities, what's called a one employee system, where council appoints a city manager or a CAO, and then the CAO basically appoints everyone else or has everyone else and runs the organization. Council is in charge of doing the the what or um, the why, and CAOs are to do the how. 
Okay. So everyone that works for the city of Kamloops essentially reports to you at the end of the day. Yes. And then I report to council. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Does that ever weigh on you that, you know, when you drive around and see the vehicles and see the work being done, does that ever hit you? Uh, not really. It does. I'm blessed with some good directors underneath me. So, you know, it, it gives me, I guess, lots of, um, relaxation and confidence that uh, things are being done right. And I only deal with basically my, my straight 10 reports, given the size of the corporation with 800 employees. Okay. That makes sense. So when you were starting your career, was this sort of what you envisioned for yourself? No, not at all. Um, came out of university with a master's degree in urban regional planning, specializing in land development, and I thought I wanted to be a land developer. Uh, okay. I worked um, in the private sector for about four or five years for a um, land planning and development company, uh, and then decided to move into the public sector because I wanted to do more for the community, that they grow and grow a community and, and show something rather than just developing land. And I thought I would go through my career basically in the development uh, side of the uh, municipality. So you never saw a senior leadership role wasn't really your goal? No, as a director, not a CAO. I mean, even right up when the um, the previous CAO was retiring, you know, we had some other directors jump on right away. And I took long and basically put my name in right at the last moment because I wanted long and hard, whether that's the position I wanted or didn't want. And I felt that the uh, reason I did put in is because I felt uh, that I could, you know, that would be the position where I can make the most change and benefit of the community. That's awesome. So how long have you been in this role now? I forget. Wow, this role here now, I've been with the city just about 19 years now and in this role for just over nine. Wow. Time flies because when I first started working for the city in HR, you were just hired in that role. Randy Deal was retiring and the competition was in full swing when I started there. So yeah, it seems it does seem very, very quick, the nine years. (laughs) I always thought it was so interesting that time that everybody knew who was competing for the job because I had come from these other organizations and hadn't been through a process like that. And it, it was just interesting that it was so public who had put their hat in the ring, so to speak. So it was an interesting process. Stressful. That's for sure. Stressful. I was just going to say, was that stressful for you? <laughs> yeah. You got your peers trying to, you know, look for the same job as you're looking for. And it's kind of a little bit awkward sometimes when you're doing things, but. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, in public sector, you do see more of that, but in other organizations, things are usually kept pretty quiet. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the differences of working for a public sector organization versus a private one, because there is this expectation of transparency and, and accountability to the public, right? And very different that way. There is. I mean, your your salary's in the paper every year. Your expenses are in the paper every year. You know, you're getting beaten on, you know, a little bit from the public or from council, you know, expecting stuff. Not so much from council, but, you know, yeah. they, it, it's, it's a tough position because it is such a public position. Yeah, for sure. What would you say is the most challenging part of your role? Well, it, it's the balancing, you know, the public interest with council's interest. I basically have nine bosses. So what it does is it takes, you know, I get my direction from the majority of the nine. 
So it's always, and, and this council is very good, you know, at that, but it's always reminding them that, you know, just because one counselor wants something doesn't mean I can do that. Go find four other friends and get that direction from, you know, council whole. The other type of problem challenging thing is in the size of this organization. Like I said before, I have great directors that report up to me and right. head each of the departments. It's making sure that, you know, or, or having the comfort that, you know, the direction from council or the culture I'm trying to create passes through those directors to the manager, the supervisor, to the union. You're just assuming that, but you don't really have that hands-on type of approach or whatever, where you can go down and talk to the employee and say, here's what I'm expecting from a culture right. perspective. Here's what I believe in. So that's, that's another hard thing is you don't really see that um, day to day and touch everyone in the corporation. I remember you saying something about that when you first became CAO I can't remember where I saw it. It must have been in like an article or something where you talked about still having lunch in the lunchroom. And I think you still do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now given the stress of the job, I usually try to go exercise at lunch in order that I can right. today. So <laughs> I remember that was something that when I worked at BCLC that Jim Lightbody often did is he would, he would come down to the cafeteria at lunchtime and he would sit with people and talk to them. And I always admired that because like you say, there is this, this disconnect from that senior position and, and you don't always get to hear what people think. and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important. And you were always approachable. And I think people probably feel comfortable or, or people that know you would feel comfortable talking to you. So that's a hard balance too, because you want to be approachable, but then you also want to make sure if someone has an issue, they don't um, come to you to solve it where they should go to their manager first or their director first, you know, and follow up that way. And instead of coming straight to you to air their differences or their problems. And, you know, sometimes when you're approachable and you've talked to them and you have a little bit of rapport with them, that happens. And, you know, you got to be careful on that. Yes. And you have to be careful. You don't promise them things that your HR department then has to go and figure yeah, out. Yeah. I've, you know, I've done that. You say certain things thinking they don't take it. They take it a whole different way. And then all of a sudden, you know, your, you know, HR is like, what did you promise this person? I'm like, I didn't promise them anything. <laughs> I've been, I've been yeah, I've, I've been brought in a few times on that from HR. <laughs> it's like a game of telephone. I imagine that when you were talking about the different layers, right? So yeah. you translate something to a director and then by the time it gets down to yes. the front line, yeah, it can be a totally different thing. That's funny. So as you know, I've worked in the HR department at two municipalities. Obviously, that's how we met was when I started working at the city of Kamloops. And one of the things that I've always said I loved about working in municipal government is that there was lots of variety. In, in the types of roles that a municipality has to fulfill. I think there's also unique opportunities compared to other public sector organizations. And I always felt that there was this ability to make a direct impact, kind of like what you were saying when you chose this, right? So you have what you do matters to your neighbors and to the, you know, the people around you. And I, I think that that draws people to municipal government. And it, and it certainly did to me in an HR role, because you don't normally get to have that kind of direct impact. But what do you see as the role of the HR department in a municipality? Like, how would you describe that? It's funny, I came from, um, before I came to Kamloops, I came from uh, Terrace, which is a smaller community. You didn't have really right. HR, you know, HR was done by an HR slash corporate officer kind of type of thing. And I always thought it was like just for hiring and firing. 
so you know what what I've got and what I, I actually I think the higher benefit of HR is is yes they do the hiring but you know it's not just doing the hiring but it's making sure you hire the right type of person. You know um, we've went and and done a lot of our interviews where you know it's the person that may come in as a lifeguard or a laborer maybe here for forty years. Right. So you have to hire the right attitude person, the right aptitude person, and they may go through six or seven different jobs. So let's make sure we bring in the right person on that. And I think HR plays a huge role in making sure that that's, you know, followed through with. Um, obviously, their labor relations, making sure that the contracts follow through with. But to me, probably the more important thing within the culture of the organization is a lot of the training. From uh, training your supervisors to training, um, you know, how to deal with difficult employees, you know, how to be a better supervisor, you know, how to do better management, you know, all the issues having to do with uh, WorkSafe BC and all that, getting a lot of that training in. And I know we have a huge training program in Camelot yeah. and, and we spend a lot of money out. And I think that's that's one of the benefits of um, having a, a bigger size community. We can have that bigger size HR community. And I strongly believe that. Also, the benefit packages in terms of implementing that, working with employees for the health and welfare of the employee, uh, making sure what the um, what you're hearing within the organization in terms of where the stressors are, where the stressors, how can we help those employees, you know, to provide the best benefits so they can be the best they can be. Um, I also believe they're gatekeepers on a lot of a lot of things. I have HR reporting directly to me through an HR director. Many municipalities don't, they or they combine it with something. I think it's very important to show that HR and safety is high and very important in the corporation by having the HR director report right to the CAO. Hmm. Yeah, I know in some, I can't remember if when I started at the city of Abbotsford, I think it reported through finance or corporate services. Yeah, it, w- it was a different kind of structure, for sure. Yeah, that makes a big difference. I think having, you know, somebody at the director level in HR is really important in, in the organization. Yeah, I think we're going more and more people-based in terms of that. And, and you know, everyone has become, and municipalities have become just as efficient at doing this. They've looked at that. You know, they've done contracts here. They've done that there in terms of how they provide their service. But really the difference in terms of whether you're going to be efficient in providing that service is all going to be related to your people and yeah. the culture of the organization. And I think HR is key on that and a, a key driver in terms of making sure that gets out through the whole corporation. Well, at the end of the day, I always say you can start any organization you want with, without capital, without infrastructure, without all kinds of things, but you can't do it without people. Yep. So if you're not focusing on them, then you're probably not going to have a successful organization at the end of the day. Yeah, no, couldn't have said it better. So you have a really good relationship with your HR director, Colleen. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the importance of having a strong relationship between leaders and HR professionals? Well, I think we kind of just talked about that a little bit, how, you know, they need to know where I'm coming from, from a culture perspective, what culture I want to put through the organization and and how to pass that down. Colleen and I meet every week in terms for about an hour, hour and a half, depending on what some of the issues are. The issues, as you mentioned before, are very diverse and it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like, you know, you can go through a meeting and they have 10 different issues. The next meeting, it's 10 different issues on the other way. And it's like, wow, you know, how can this be so diverse and different things popping up? So it allows, um, I think, me to keep a handle on, okay, what's going on in the corporation? You know, as we said, where are their issues? We have HRAs that kind of are embedded in each department, but still report to Colleen. So we can get the feel of the whole um, corporation. We can make sure through those HRAs that each department's handling HR-related topics the same way. Right. You know, not not one one, uh, director or department's not saying, okay, it's fine what you did, you know, 
don't worry about it. You know, next time don't do that. Well, another department saying, okay, 10 day suspension, you right. know, it's getting that consistency is getting that, that, um, look at that. So again, I think it's very important, as I said, on the size of the corporation, uh, from before is that, you know, I need my directors to make sure that I know what's going on and they can pass down what they do and what they know. So it's always getting that direction, keep those line of communication open in terms of setting expectations. No, I totally agree. I think the most important relationship in an organization is between the supervisor and the employee. And that all that whole relationship and and managing it comes from the director and the tone that they set and then I see the HR department kind of as you said making sure that that's done consistently and that there's programs to support that and tools and training to to support that relationship right because yeah, and I think it's very important, you know, Colleen, you know, Colleen and I are very similar and we can both get fiery in a little bit and stuff, but we both respect what each other say. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we're at the point and we're at the point that, you know, we say what needs to be said, not what the other person wants to hear. And that we're both very open right. on that. And I think that's strengthened our relationship. It's caused a couple bumps along the way, but I think it's really strengthened the relationship in terms yeah. of we, you know, we've been through those tough conversations. We've had those, you know disagreements on that but we realize we can do that and move forward and you know in mutual respect and you know i highly value her advice and listen to her advice and you know she takes my viewpoint and stuff and if i say well here's what i'm thinking here's the problem come up with a solution you know i think that's the biggest thing here's what i'm worried about here's where i'm at doesn't need to be done my way as long as you can address this way you know to do that and i find when we have got to that thing that HR and her staff get very creative in coming up ways and, and finding ways that we can do things that kind of meet with the culture I want to get. Right. Yeah. And I think that trust takes time, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. So you have to, you have to build it with people, right? Right. Okay. So let's change directions a little bit. The topic of stress came up a couple of times And uh, I know you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but I want to talk about what happened a year ago to you personally. I I guess it was a, it was in June, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a year, a year ago, next week, exactly. Is it? Okay. So, so a year ago, you collapsed in the middle of a council meeting. Um, You were delivering your report, I believe and uh, were whisked away in an ambulance and then off work for quite some time before you returned later in the summer. So can you share whatever you're comfortable sharing about what you believe led up to that to that day and that incident in June? Yeah, I, I think it was, well, I know, I don't think, I, I know it was related, you know, a lot to work. As we mentioned, you know, uh, earlier when I applied for the job, I had other you know, directors applying for the job to both very, very capable people. Council um, ultimately picked me, but I want to show council they made the right decision. I want to show those um, two people now that work for me that I was the right decision and also support them and, and try to work with them because that's sometimes awkward when it happens. And, you know, my two predecessors that I mentored under, uh, Ron Poole and Terrace and Randy Deal here, were also very good CAOs. So I wanted to live up to them and kind of mirror them. So I put a lot of pressure on myself, you know, worked a lot of, worked a lot of hours, wanted to be the best I could be to my detriment. You spend a lot of hours, you know, stressing out at work. I'd go home, you know, work in the evening. If I woke up in the middle of the night, I'd work, you know, and that type first thing in the morning. 
and you know it kind of developed some personal issues in in my life with my relationships uh because working so much and you know instead of dealing with those i just work more because i was good at work right it's easy it's good it's something you can do you don't have to worry about it, it keeps your mind off things when you're busy and stuff like that well i didn't realize you know as you get more and more and more on your plate and that it's kind of like the frog you know in the pot thing you throw the frog in the hot hot water he jumps out but when you turn it up slow you don't realize it and he stays until he cooks himself. Well, the same thing kind of happened. You know, the more I worked, the more pressure, the more stress, the more I worked, the more pressure, the more stress. It was a vicious cycle until, you know, my body basically said enough is enough. You know, I went to the hospital, I was diagnosed with a potential TIA, which is short-term stroke. I don't think I had that because the tests afterward than that, but definitely severe burnout um, coupled with depression from the burnout and uh, dehydration and sleep deprivation and and all that kind of stuff just from working. I was probably Mm -hmm. averaging four hours of sleep, you know, a night on that. And I was working probably 12 hours a day. And a lot of that was because I felt I had to do that, you know. Um, And what I learned from being off, I was off for two months full-time and two more months part-time to get back, you know, my sleep and get back to normal and doing that and didn't realize until I had that time off, holy cow, was I ever high strung? Was I ever tense? Was I ever, you know, cranky? Was I ever this and that? And, you know, it made me realize that, you know, why my relationship in part failed, you know, why I was getting stressed at work, why I was, you know, edgy with counsel, edgy with my directors and, and, you know, being someone I didn't want to be. So it was a blessing to me. It's made me realize that work-life balance is hugely important. It's also yeah. made me realize that, you know, no matter how much you work and what happens, you know, the corporation's still going to be there, the job, someone else will fill it, someone else will do it, but you got to watch out for you, you know, on that. And um, I guess I got the benefit of a council that supported me and basically said now the, no, the number one priority for them and number one they want priority for me is to take care of me. So it was very good to have that where I felt the pressure from before not to have that but you know that I needed to work super hard do everything for them where they're like no you don't kind of thing just be you so that that's a positive thing and it was a very life-changing type of thing and you know I guess in a way I'm glad I went through it yeah well I'm glad you're doing better and you look healthy and you sound healthy so that's good yeah you know it has made me realize I need to have some things outside of work so as I said I used to you said I used to have lunch every every day in the lunch room with the staff but now I work out at lunch to try to get that some of the stress out and you know get myself ready for the full day that's good that's really good so you talked about you know learning that you have to put yourself first and that things will carry on without you. And I, I think that is an important lesson. It's probably one we could all uh, take your advice on, certainly me. Given what you went through, let's talk a little bit about the support from the organization, because you mentioned that council was very supportive. Um, and that might not be the case for everybody, yeah. right? But there's probably lots of people that are going to work every day with unacknowledged or unsupported mental health challenges, right? The statistics, I think, are pretty alarming. How important is it that the HR team and the organization support people's well-being? Well, I think it's usually, I think it's usually important. We have to, you know, get by the stigma. Um, I believe that if you show vulnerability and, you know, that's what they say, Brene Brown says that, you know, women's number one shame in society is body image and num- men's number one shame in society is, you know, basically mental weakness. 
right. know, and, and so I think you feel a lot of, you know, everyone and leaders of both sexes, probably the same thing, right? They feel they can't show that. They feel they got to be strong all the way through, set the example. And I think the example we've been setting is the wrong example. You know, working ourselves in, you know, I know many CEOs who have had heart attacks, many CEOs who have, you know, had other health issues, have had other breakdowns and things like that because they work themselves, whatever. That's the wrong example I think we've been setting. We need to set an example that it's, you can only do so much and you can only expect, the corporation can only expect so much out of you uh, when you do that. I think the benefit HR has on that is getting that message across. Um, I think yeah. the leaders need to do that. I think my HR department, since we've had this, has brought in more stuff up on mental health. They put on, they're now putting on sessions on mental health awareness and stuff like that. And those things are are filling up faster than they can have them. Yeah. You know, I think some of it's COVID, but I think some of it's also us trying to break down that barrier. They've recently looked at our benefit program and provided, instead of just providing, you know, paramedical for what everyone considers, you know, physical ailments, we now have paramedical for mental ailments. Right. Which a lot of times the mental ailment causes the physical ailment. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. We'll create the physical, but not the main thing that's causing the issue. So we've done that. Um, I had a lot of support from the HR department in terms of coming me and working out a game plan on how to come back to work uh, as a return to work in terms of basically if I had to rely just on my benefit package and paramedicals, I don't think I would have uh, went to near as many of the things to get me back and get me more realized than, you know, what I call reprogramming myself not to believe I have to work. They actually, you know, worked with the mayor and council and, and the corporation to come up with to make it feasible for me to get to get the help, the counseling and, you know, the thought provoking people for me to change, which I think has been hugely positive. And it's actually allowed me to, you know, feel that I can pass on my message to others so they don't end up in the same place. So that's something that you're doing now. You, you've you started sharing your story, and what you've learned with other leaders and other CAOs. I know you don't love doing presentations and public speaking is not your favorite thing, but you've done that. So what made you want to do that? Well, I think after I had my, you know, my um, health issues, uh, a couple of CEOs reached out to me and said, wow, you know, they're going through the same thing. And they, ex they shared some of their experiences, you know, a couple more of my mentors. And I'm like, wow, I didn't realize you were going through that. You know, you know, if I would have realized that you were going through the same thing, I may have reached out. I thought I was alone you know, one suffering this, I thought I wasn't, you know, good enough <clears throat> per se that way, because something you don't want yeah. to talk about doing that. And no one was doing it, but I realized that other one, other people were going through the same thing. So it was, but no one was talking about it. So I felt, you know, and again, you're right. I don't, I'm typically a very reserved person and it was very hard for me to do it. And um, I actually had to tape it because I had to go through four or five things to tape it. But, you know, when I did it and I said, well, if I can help two or three people not go through what I went through, just if they can talk about it and realize this thing out there, then it's worthwhile. I may have 10 people that look down on me per se, because they feel I'm weak, but I said, you know what, if I can help three people, I don't care about those 10 people. I think that's huge. And, and it's true what you were saying before about, you know, breaking down the stigma because I, I had postpartum depression after my son was born and I didn't tell anybody other than my husband at the time and my parents, but I spent time with lots of friends and I hid it all the way through. Even when I went to the support group, I made sure my kid was fed, clean, 
my hair was done. Like I made sure that I had my together before I went into those places because it was so hard to talk about because nobody I knew had ever been through it. And then years later, I wrote about it and I shared it and people started coming to me. People that I worked with at the city approached me when they talked about their experiences and and I told them about it quite willingly because I was, you know, through that that place in my life, but but I hear you with that. I think it's these stories have to be shared to let people know that it's okay. Right. And it happens to more people than less, I guess. I think it does. I mean, when we look at our, you know, um, since I've shared that, I've had, you know, I've shared a little bit, not in detail with staff, you know, on everything on that at directors or a story full management meetings. And you hear people come and say, well, now I feel like it's okay to go and get help. Yeah. Right. Now I feel like it's okay to, you know, say I'm stressed. You know, which is good because when we do look, going back to an HR type of thing, when we do look at our lost time industries and our, you know, our stats on that, mental health is growing huge in terms okay. of uh, what it is. And a mental health lost time injury is definitely a long time injury versus, you know, a cut finger or a strained back. Totally. You know, so, um, you know, it's another reason why as a corporation, why HR, we need to have HR pay attention to those type of things for the benefit of the employees, but also for the corporation in terms of being productive. And I think if you look at most employee benefit plans, drug plans, usually the number one prescribed drug will be, uh, what is it? Lipitor for cholesterol and then antidepressants are like way up there. Right. So I think there's, yeah, it, it's important to be focusing on those preventative pieces. You talked a little bit about vulnerability. What what do you think about that in terms of people being vulnerable at work? Like I know it used to be, well, we kind of work as work and we don't talk about our problems at work. And you, I've heard people say that multiple times over the years. Like, why can't they just keep their personal stuff at home sort of thing? And I feel like one of the things that COVID has done is sort of, meshed that all together, right? So we're having this conversation. I'm in my home. I think you're at work still. Um, you should go home soon, David. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, we've done this for like a year and a half of people having work and home sort of blend into this big mishmash thing. And I, I think it's shown people that they can be a little bit more vulnerable with their coworkers. Do you think that's a good thing? Well, I think it is. I mean, I don't know how you can just basically say one aspect of your life is going one way and you can totally shut it off when you go into other aspects of your life. That's not something you can do uh, if you yeah. want to practice good health, right? You can try, but it's not that. And I think, you know, you're at your work more than you are at home. And I think it affects your work and it affects your relationship. It did me. So, you know, I think it's just to talk about it doesn't mean, you know, that you have to throw your arms way out there and stuff like that but what i found in terms of vulnerability you know my staff didn't realize uh, all the stuff i was going through personally you know being a right. single parent having a kid with some mental health issues you know having my own health issues and, and other issues and things like that and when i told them look here's what i'm struggling with they're like oh okay you know i'm not sleeping i'm not doing this they, they feel a little more empathetic instead of well if hopefully i can say this you know he's not just being a 
right? Right. You might have to edit yeah. that out later, but, but you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of like, why is he so cranky all the time on it? And they go, oh, yeah. okay. Now it doesn't mean you can give you privilege to be cranky all the time, but they kind of understand that. And they come in and say, okay, what can we do to help you yeah. potentially take something off your plate? So your workload is not lighter, but your workload's manageable where you can actually deal with your work and it's not adding to the problem. Right. And that was just taking some little steps to do that um, in terms of sharing that with the team. And, you know, I think showing that vulnerability and being a real person has actually brought the team and myself closer together, you know, in terms of they understand, they feel that, you know, you're a real person too. And um, yeah, I, I guess I wish I would have done it sooner and explained that sooner. But again, it comes down to that, taking that chance to be vulnerable and, and realizing that. It can be scary, right? Yeah. Yes. So most of my listeners are obviously emerging HR practitioners. So people that are early in their career, at least I think they are. I don't actually know. I know my mom doesn't listen anymore. so (laughs) So as a leader, what advice would you give to emerging HR practitioners that are going to be working with leaders and hiring managers? Well, I would just say be, you know, to me, the biggest thing is communication and being open. Uh, You know, we're looking as directors, managers, looking for your advice. You know, again, don't tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what we need to hear. You know, obviously, obviously do it it in a respectful manner and, um, you know, do stuff, realize that you're doing stuff. And a lot of you are in it because you probably want to help people. You want to help the organization grow. You want to do that. Keep doing that. You know, that's the type of thing is don't get into that rut. Try to get some variety. And that's what we try mm-hmm. to do is give everyone a little bit of variety if you can. It's, it's just be, obviously you have some empathy, you have, you know, some of this stuff, be who you need to be on that. That's really good. I like that. Tell us what we need to hear. Not- yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I think that when people are starting out, at least I, I know when I was starting out, that was difficult to do. And I think one of the things that I learned early on was that if I had a good relationship with these people, then they would trust me and they would take my advice. But if I was, to quote you, being a to them (laughs) or constantly telling them, you know, using a lot of shoulds, I find the word should is not a great approach. Um, But if you're always telling them, you know, you have to do this or you should do this without first building the trust and the relationship that they're not going to be as willing to take your advice or listen to you when it really matters, right? When they're really going to go down the wrong path. Yeah, I think you hit it dead on, Melanie. I mean, obviously, if someone, you know, I've never met or whatever is new HR person comes up to me and says, you know, you should do this, this, and this. I go, what? You know, kind yeah. of you. but it's kind of breaking that relationship where you do it, but it works both ways. It's also for the manager, the director, other things to build that relationship with their HR people. Right. To feel comfortable. So, um, you know, I, I think you're right. That's the key thing is, is, as you said it, I think you hit it right on is in order to tell us what we need to know, what, what we want to know is you have to have that trusting relationship and that takes work to build that and, mm-hmm. you know, put your effort into building that. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Do you have time for five quick questions? I do. I don't know if I can answer them or not, but let's give it a shot. (laughs) Okay. So the first one, this is always the hardest one for people. If you could work for any organization in the world, one that you admire, what would it be and why? 
You know, you gave me that one and you gave me the questions a little bit earlier. So I wasn't just blinded side by them all. And you know what? I looked at that one, Melanie, and, you know, um, I couldn't think of anything. I'm happy with what I'm doing and where I'm working in the organization. And, and I'm happy with that because I feel I'm going to, you know, where I can make a difference in a municipal setting to make a better community for people to live in. Some may not agree that you're making it better, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think I can do that. And, you know, a lot of people nearing this stage of their life are like, well, what have I done with my career? What have I done with my life? What do I stand for? What's my purpose on stuff like that? And I yeah. feel, I feel blessed that through everything I've done, you know, in my career and in my setting now, I've been able to do it by working, you know, at the city. And I think any municipality where you can notice and make a difference on the ground. Yeah, it is one of the coolest things of, of working for municipal government. It really is. Yeah. You get to drive around and you, you see what your work does every day. Yeah. I can, not a lot of places you get to do that. No, I can look on Lawrence street right now, walk down there and say, okay, I remember that was a parking, a weedy parking lot on one side and an asphalt sidewalk on the other side. And, now you walk yeah. down and we had a hand in, you know, making sure it was beautified and stuff like that. That's something I can go down 50 years from now and see, right? And you can see way more yeah. people walking and using it than you did before. You know, so those yeah. are the type of things, you know, doing that or making the corporation better where people feel better coming to work, you know, because yeah. you set a culture and stuff like that. Those are, are very rewarding. So I don't think, you know, I tried to think about it and try to think all these cool things I could do. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm happy with, with what I've done in my life and where I'm at. That's awesome. That's good. All right. Second question. What is your go-to stress relieving activity? Well, since this is HR, I'd say drinking wine because from what I understand <laughs> from every HR person that I've met, that's kind of right up there at the top of the list. But uh, I think I do that. The, that's at the end of the day type of thing. But, but for me, it's the exercise. You know, I do a lot of sitting around all day. Um, so it's getting up, getting the blood through me halfway through the day, and it makes a huge difference, makes me more focused, makes me, gives me a little more pep and makes me, you know, in a much better frame of mind. Yeah. And what you may not know is there's actually, well, you probably do know, there's a whole lot of science that, that backs that, right? Um, I don't know if you read this book. I think I might've sent you a link for this at one point. It's called Burnout. No, Renee I Brown haven't. talked about it on our podcast one time. And, and they actually say in here that physical activity is the single most efficient strategy for completing the stress response cycle. That one of the reasons why people stay so stressed is because they, they don't ever kind of complete that, that stress cycle. It just kind of, as you said, it, the slow burn in the pot kind of thing, right? Yeah, and that's when I, before I had my health issues and, you know, collapsing the council chambers, you know, due to COVID and stuff like that, uh, probably for the year before that, I cut out that physical activity to spend more time working and doing stuff and things like that. And, you know, I truly believe that's part of the issue why I had, you know, you know, those mental health issues. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. A good run always makes me feel better. <laughs> If you could go back to the day you graduated from university or high school, what advice would you give young David? Probably would be less, uh, I'm a very big introvert person, but probably less introverted and probably listen more, talk less. Hmm. And as you said earlier, what you said, build those relationships. You know, it is all about relationship building and communication. Yeah. yeah. And that can be hard when you're introverted. Yeah. You know, the other thing is things happen for a reason. For you know, sure. And, you know, you might see them big negative. Then, you know, 10 years, you might see the positive of what happened. And 
So, you know, things do happen for a reason and try to just accept it that way and move forward. Yeah. We are who we are at the end of the day, right? Although I think the older I get, the more introverted I become. But <laughs> Okay. I already know the answer to this one. Coffee or tea? Uh, definitely tea. I drink coffee maybe once or twice a year, but, you know, <laughs> I, I like tea. Um, I like, you know, whether it's caffeine tea, I can drink caffeine tea first thing in the morning. I drink decaffeinated in the afternoon and, you know, it's just something I enjoy. Uh, last question, which book or film has had the biggest impact on you as a person or a professional and why? Um, well, I, I don't know the exact name of, of the book here. Um, and I was, I actually, you gave me this question and, you know, I said, okay, I got to remember the name of the book. got to remember the name <laughs> of the book, but it's, and again, you might have to bleep this out, but it, it, I think it was the art of how not to give up. In other oh, words, yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it's, it's more about how letting things go and things like that. And, you know, mm -hmm. take chances and if things go wrong, whatever, and you learn more from taking chances and, and failing than not taking any chances at all. And, and, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was quite from, I actually went through and read it twice. Did you? You know, as a follow yeah, up, yeah. I, that was the first book after I read, after I had my issues. Okay. And to be quite honest with you, my 22 year old son, is the one who recommended for it to me. And, you know, I find that a lot of kids that age are reading a lot of self-help books and getting in tune with themselves yeah. way more than, than our generation is and stuff like that. And it was just like, wow, you know, so kind of, make, kind awesome. of like, damn, the kids got itself more together than I do kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I think, I think they grew up talking about it more like even in school right yeah. we didn't nobody taught us that kind of stuff in school or in university and and now it seems that it's really common like even with my students at the university they'll come in and and a lot of them will share what some of their personal struggles are with me as their professor I never would have done that in university like no. it, it just no. wouldn't have happened right yeah. yeah I just think they're I don't know. They were raised differently and it's yeah. more acceptable to talk yeah. about it. And but I think that's good. You know, I, I think it's, it's definitely a positive. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to read that book because lots of people have told me about it and I've never read it. Yeah. So, okay. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. See, I'd, I'd give you, I'd give you my copy, but I've underlined and highlighted a bunch of stuff. So that would, <laughs> that would give you too much. That might be too yes, vulnerable. Yeah, that would be giving too much information about me. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, I'll buy my own copy and support that. What's his name? Mark? Mark. Do you remember his name? Mark Man Manson or Mason or something like that. Manson, okay. Mason. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll put the link in there. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. What a great conversation. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and hearing firsthand how important it is to balance your work and personal life. David's advice is so genuine and sincere, and I can honestly say I have met few leaders in my 20 years who are as open and honest. If you would like to connect with David, you can find him on LinkedIn or through the City of Kamloops. I will include links to both in the show notes. I will also leave links for David's book recommendation and for the book Burnout, which I referenced at the end. You can find the show notes at www.unicorngroup.ca forward slash episode 32. If you are experiencing stress, burnout, or depression, please seek help. 
I will leave a few links to resources in the show notes. If your workplace has an employee benefits plan, you may also want to reach out to your HR department to see what resources and tools are available to support you. Most important, don't ignore or downplay how you are feeling. Your mental well-being is as, if not more, important than your physical health and should be given the same amount of attention. You are not alone and there is help out there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The HR Mentor. If you are not already a subscriber, please follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. And check out my website at www.unicorngroup.ca for tons of helpful resources for your career and your HR role. Take care. Bye for now.